britches up. Yeah. You know, two yoga classes and I've already lost nine pounds. <laughs> well, that's how it feels. I, w- I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I'm skinnier, and I have no idea if I actually am, because <laughs> I don't even have, like, a bathroom scale, but, you know, on a psychosomatic level, the yoga is really, uh, you know, changing. It's just working. Yeah. Excellent. Right on. So. Well, you seem more enlightened, lifted, a little yeah. more balanced. <laughs> seem more zen than when you last saw me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, well, the incense in here is is really hard to breathe through. X-rated, coming to you by candlelight. <laughs> I, I did have to ask you to turn off the tambora music, <laughs> just because it would have gotten on the podcast. It'd be hard to edit around. That's that guy from uh, Rust Development, right? <laughs> Jeffrey Tambora? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize he had an album. <laughs> uh... Welcome to X-Rated, fair listeners. A podcast by two guys who dated for a couple of weeks about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we have a tenuous relationship <laughs> based on movies and podcasting. Yeah. Grip it fingers. <laughs> Just the last flanges holding on to the, to the rock face there. Flanges. That is, that's your word of the day from our Universal Soldier podcast. Indeed, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> For long-time listeners out there. <laughs> I learned lots from this podcast. Like how big some movie Wikipedia pages are? Indeed. Indeed. They can be real long. <laughs> real long. I um, I wanted to, to jaw with you a little bit. Sure. Uh Regarding our Trump biopic. Uh, This is going to sound dated now when this podcast actually comes out. But recently, you know, there was that information about there's all this like wiretapping shit going on. Cameras in the microwaves and whatnot. Yeah, well, the microwave thing was what got me going. And I was thinking like, oh, we could really do a good scene with this in the head space and have it be, uh, you know, the rock. Since we are going to have him be, yeah. Say Dwayne something, Johnson, uh, yeah. you know, along the lines of, can you smell la, 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 what the rock is cooking? And then do his eyebrow thing, but then slowly turn to the microwave. <laughs> and then we can have a slow, like, Lynchian zoom in on it. And then it's sort of like the lady in the radiator situation. But instead, it's Gene Hackman, all of the conversation. <laughs> well, I was thinking that either from, I'm thinking from the Trump point of view, it should be all microwave cameras. <laughs> and just the thing is that Trump has microwaves in every room. Like, well, no wonder he's paranoid. Yeah. That's like his Achilles heel. If, you, if you've cracked the microwave, you've gotten into his inner sanctum. <laughs> Do you think it's just because when he has a frozen burrito craving, he's got to have it now? <laughs> you open up the drawers in the White House, the Oval Office desk, and there's like a little fun cooker in there. It's going to make such a mess. <laughs> well, you know, previous presidents kept, you know, paperwork and things in there. He just keeps his... One drawer's got the microwave, the other one's got the frozen burritos. Yeah. Um, well, good. I'm glad we're... I'm glad that's coming along. I also wanted to uh, see, I don't know if we've talked about this, but have, you, have we thought of anybody yet for a Paul Ryan or a Mitch McConnell, kind of a gruesome twosome of Congress? Uh, no, I, I have not. I mean, I was thinking of just going to my local zoo and getting a turtle for Mitch McConnell, <laughs> but I'm open to suggestions, say human actors, yeah. that's fine too. Well, no, I like I like this animal track you're going on, but I was picturing more like animal parts, like a... <laughs> bleeding horse anus or something. Does it have to be bleeding? I don't know. I just really feel like... I, wa- I want the audience to feel what I feel towards him. Oh, okay. Now, is it bloody because of violence? Like, is is this... Uh, uh, <laughs> is this horse anus, like, prolapsed? <laughs> Is it, um, is it bloody because of friction and overuse? Calloused, <laughs> if you will? Well, Blistered? I was, I was kind of picturing it just as, like, uh, severed and on its own, just, like, kind of sitting on the floor. Mm, mm, mm. And, uh, I mean, possibly we could draw some Bloody from it. surgical purposes. Yes, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if we must, we can cauterize it and, <laughs> and uh, keep it to a minimum. That poor horse. 
Yeah. Well, well let's assume it was a, an already dead horse. This was like a glue horse. Yeah. <laughs> Racing horse that broke its leg and it's, you know, it's done for anyway. So. Oh, it's rough. I, all right. I'll do this, but only if it's Seabiscuit. Okay. Uh, I actually know Seabiscuit's agent. We'll see. We'll see if he's available. Available <laughs> to <laughs> or donate his anus. Oof, I've been on that waiting list for a while. <laughs> I'm sorry I started the podcast <laughs> this way. This took a dark turn. Uh, this is this is just what I was thinking of on my bike ride over here. Like <laughs> X-rated movies and horse anus. <laughs> now with 100% more horse anus. <sighs> Put that 100% on. 100% more. I'm thinking only like 75% more. <laughs> we already had a little. Yeah, I guess a lot of that hit the cutting room floor. <laughs> Save that for the bonus Literally. episode. <laughs> Matt, please please pull me off my own sword here. <laughs> I was going to say, what did we come here tonight to do? <laughs> this is what happens when I give you creative control <laughs> over the talking points. Let's see. I watched an uh, anime called The... Girl Who Leapt Through Time. Oh, okay. Uh, it was actually surprisingly good for having such a stupid title. <laughs> uh, Probably something lost in translation. Maybe. I mean, she does leap, and it is through time. Oh. Well. I mean, it, it's... If something was lost in translation, it's still a very literal title. Because, huh. yeah, it, she runs and jumps, and when she does it fast enough, she goes back in time a little bit. Uh, as far as time travel movies go, it was pretty tight. Oh. You know, a lot of time travel movies, it was it was closer to time crimes than, say, Back to the Future or something like Excellent. that. Excellent, okay. Where, you know, she goes back, you know, a couple minutes, a couple hours, you know, maybe a day, I think is like the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, she basically just gives herself a bunch of do-overs, like she's a high school girl. And she's like, I flunked this quiz, and like went back, and like, now I got a hundred. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, and then she does it, like, if she says something stupid in front of a boy, she, like, goes back and, like, does it over again. Oh, okay. Uh, but the running theme, or not the running theme, but sort of one of the uh, conflicts that arises, when everything's going right for her, that might mean that things are going wrong for other people. Uh, and so there's these unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And it actually, like, the way that it kind of, like, grows bigger and bigger. Uh, and, I don't know, it still felt like it was very tightly knit. Like, the story was very logical and really pulled itself together and didn't, like, go off the rails despite how big it was. Cool. Yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by it. Well, did you watch anything outside the uh, assignment? I rewatched um, <clears throat> Fallen Angels. Oh! Which was uh, which was one from our original challenge. From our origins, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've watched it since then. It is uh, stylistically very, very strong. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, and what's his name? Takashi Kinashiro? I don't know if I got his name right. Uh, the mute one. Oh my god, he's yeah. so cute. Yeah. <laughs> he has that shirt at one point that says, like, uh, mother figure, and it's a picture of, like, a punk rock girl with a, um, with a mohawk. Okay. It's a yellow and maroon ringer. So tight and cute. <laughs> oh, man. I'd forgotten about that. Um, but I, uh, it's great. Yeah. Okay. I almost like it better than Chungking Express. You know, Chunk- I like Chunking Express, but I didn't. I don't see why that's the one that uh, like Wong Kar Wai fans cling on to. I yeah. feel like he's got stronger films than that. Yeah, yeah, because this one came right after that, and I feel like it's a strong. It's almost a stronger film. I I definitely feel that way. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just really well. It's a, a great example of style um, working for the material. Yeah. Um, it gets a little cheesy at points. But, um, I mean, that's just a product of its timing. He was still kind of green then. But, um, good. Definitely recommend it. What would you like to introduce this week's movie? God, would I ever. All right. Man, uh, this week we, we watched um, Cowards Bend the Knee, uh-huh. which is a 2003 uh, film by Guy Madden. Uh-huh. Um, originally, it was uh, commissioned for an art show. Which, 
I just found out this time around, even though I've seen this movie before. Yeah. I didn't realize. Um, and so, uh, trigger warning, this is an art house film, <laughs> I would say. Um, I don't know if that Is right. that trigger worthy? <laughs> Were people know. abused by art house <laughs> films at some point in their childhood? I just don't want someone to, you know, get 10 minutes into this analysis and be like, this sounds really arty. <laughs> <laughs> and then switch us off, you know. They should do it now. Go Please back don't. to Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I love Guy Madden. I just, I'm going to start, start off with that. And I think he's really a director that you either love or hate. I think most people do like him, though. I think everyone I've been, I've shown his films to has always been on board. I do have a friend that made me turn off Saddest Music in the World because he was not having it that much. Oh, wow. Okay, well, like I said, yeah. <laughs> take him or leave him. Yeah. Uh, I happen to think he's brilliant. I really like most of what he's done. Uh, yeah, I and... realized, because uh, I watched a couple of his films over the weekend, uh... And at the end of the weekend, I realized I've now seen all his feature-length movies. He's got a million short films. Yeah. Uh, I watched and, a couple of those for today. Uh, and some of his short films are varying in quality. <laughs> uh, did you see Nude Caboose? No. <laughs> it's like a guy in like a train conductor's like a portly gentleman, naked, in a train conductor's hat, like running around public spaces for three minutes. <laughs> in his style of... Um... Silent no, movie. it was oh. color. Huh. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, maybe I won't go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> Did you see um, Sissy Boy Slap Fight? I think it's no. called. The title says it all. <laughs> Pretty good, actually. Okay. Um, I also watched the... Um, he, along with like nine other Canadian directors, were asked to uh, make short films for the 2000 Toronto Film Festival. Are you talking about Heart of the World? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the short ones that I watched over the weekend. And that too. one was really great. I yeah. liked that one a lot. That one's very, you know, uh, uh, indicative of his style. Mm -hmm. That was actually one... <laughs> We're not even talking about Coward's Been. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> uh, so after watching that short film, I, I started thinking, I mean, Guy Madden, he's known for doing... Movies in the style of like pre sound, right? Or just as sound is coming, in. yeah. Uh, or at least, at least pre talkies, like his, yeah. his movies all have music in them, but uh, and I started thinking, especially with that one, because it was like so frantic and like so like cut, cut, da, da, da. Yeah, I was like, does he storyboard his movies, or is he one of those like Scripts just get in the way of the process. Storyboards are, you know, a weaklings tool. Let's just shoot a million things and see what we have. I'm like, I really can't tell what he does. I have no idea how he makes his movies. He storyboards. You're kidding. Because I got the DVD and it had uh, bonus features and it had the storyboard for that short film. And it was shocking how close his storyboards were to what actually came out on camera. You're kidding. No. Wow. But he's got a million notes that are illegible to anyone who's, you know, not writing them. <laughs> uh, just, you know, this, 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 you know, notes and arrows pointing to different parts. But I'm like, that, what he storyboarded is largely what came out in that movie. That's impressive. So, yeah, I feel like he diligently storyboards with a whole bunch of notes. Man. Which you watch the movie and they're so... Like, the images are so frenetic and yeah. rapid fire, you'd think that he would just, you know, And it feels kind of, up. like, um, accidental, almost. Like, mm, he's just mm. sort of like, what if I mush these together? Oh, that looks great. Let's move on. Next. Let's, what, if I, what if I move the camera this way? Like, it does not... It feels very chaotic. Yeah, like definitely. Like, barely organized chaos in some ways. Yeah, but I think that's just, like, the way that his mind works. Have you ever read anything that he's written? Uh, no. He's... A, he's written a couple books that I didn't realize... But every now and again, he'll write, like, a film essay. Oh, yeah, yeah you, I think you told me about this. Uh, yeah, for, like, Criterion, he's written, like, a couple film essays, and, like, he even did, like, a top ten where, like, he picked his ten favorite Criterion films and, like, wrote little blurbs about them. Uh -huh. They're all great. Like, just his writing style seems very stream of conscious, but at the same time seems, like, very contained. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like he sat down at a typewriter and like improvised a complete thought, mm-hmm. uh, just all in one go. Just that's just how his mind works. It's a, it's a, it's amazing. And he was actually a little bit of a late bloomer. Oh, was he? Yeah, because uh, he went to college, graduated, farted around for several years, um, and started his didn't start making films until like his thirties, I think. Gives me hope. Yeah, he went back to school for it. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh, okay. Isn't that crazy? What did he go to school for before, do you know? He became an accountant or something. something hey! (laughs) Yeah, something like that. And then uh, decided this wasn't for him, and then Hmm. went back to school for film, and uh, started making films. And thankfully, he lives in Canada, where they're like, hey, that's an artist, we should give them money. So what? So this movie! (laughs) What, if you had to, to describe the plot of this movie to someone, how would you describe it you have so many notes i want to show you so my notes for this start here uh-huh and continue oh, to here man. so that's three pages of it's gonna smaller take... writing than i normally do it's gonna take you longer to read your notes than it is to watch the movie <laughs> this movie is only like 64 minutes long i know well th- and these are actually mostly just plot summaries for myself oh, okay because it's so dense yeah plot wise yeah that every time i watch it i realize I'm not sure I entirely know what happened. And I like, I like, it's almost like watching someone else's dream or having a dream yeah. of your own where it's like you remember certain things about it, mm-hmm. but, um, and you can remember if it's a positive feeling or a negative feeling afterwards, but you, you like, you can't pinpoint all the details because there's just so many happening all the time. I definitely, I remembered that this was about hockey mm-hmm. and I remembered that there was some sort of like, murder or conspiracy about a murder right but that was all i really knew about this going into the rewatch and i totally forgot that this is you know aka the blue hands yeah and i for some reason i totally forgot about the hand transplant plot yeah the hands are like the main thing that's shot in the whole movie too you know uh, what I mean? yeah like there's yeah. constantly shots of hands doing things in different like grabby ways or like you know, putting up against glass or crawling across ice. It's okay. just like it's all hands all the time. <laughs> if, if I were to describe the plot to somebody, I guess it's about, it's like a, it's about a hockey player who takes his girlfriend to the abortion clinic and while the abortion's going on, he meets another girl and leaves her and then that girl wants him to kill her mother and her mother's lover with her dad's hands because he got killed by them and so his hands need to be put on but then he gets duped into the hands being put on him and then he goes on a killing spree thinking he has killer hands <sighs> i sound crazy it's weird. when you watch it it almost seems plausible yeah <laughs> it's just when it's like the hand transplant was a fake. You're just like, oh my god. He was doing this the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And then there's that moment in the, later on when he finally does, when it's revealed that like, oh, these weren't your father's hands. There's like a a big moment where he realizes like, oh no, I'm the one who's been killing. And the whole time I thought this was a idle hand situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Topical reference. Yeah. <laughs> hey. I'm sure that's where Guy Madden got his inspiration for this. I guess that one came first, didn't it? Um, Yeah, I'm sure Idle Hands was the first movie to use that plot device. (laughs) But, uh... It's just, yeah, it's the way you kind of just go along with this weird dream logic that is fun, somehow. I, I think it's like the end of chapter two... When it's his father is performing the abortion on his is it wife? It's and, his girlfriend, and it's not his father. That's the um the one who's performing the abortion is the teen physician. Oh, okay. Because there's the little card that says, "Little did he know that he was performing it on one of his own." Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, because they're talking about Guy Madden, the character, uh, performing like a heart surgery meaning like he left his girl on the table oh, and like okay. ripped her heart out basically yeah they, they also say like 
it's really just kind of poetic like those little cards like you know he abandoned another mother but the, like because it says like in chapter right. one it's like he abandons his real life mother and then in the end of chapter two it says he abandoned another mother but this is the mother of his child right yeah oh yeah, my yeah god he's sweet little <laughs> which is weird because his movies aren't sad even though like this is a tragedy. Yeah. Like it's set up as a tragedy. But it's, like, I never feel sad in a traditional sense. No, no, no. I actually even laugh when he kills his best friend because of the face he makes when he dies. They do, the, it's the traditional, like, dead man's face with his tongue hanging out, like, ah. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh every time. Uh, this movie is uh, equally weighted in its nudity. That's right, we get some D. We get some D and some B. And some Bs. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember I remember the male nudity from the first time that I watched it, but there's more than I remembered. Yeah, it's in the first five minutes. <laughs> uh, and then there's also a lot of close-up of boobs. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We should all, opportunity. Yeah, we should mention that um, Guy Madden, the character, when he goes off with the girl who wants him to murder her parents takes him away and she takes off her shirt and he goes to grab her her boobies and she won't let him and there's yeah. a prolonged sequence like about this and finally she explains it's because I won't let a, I won't let anyone lay a hand on me yeah. until my father's death is avenged and so that's why he kind of even like goes maybe that's why he kind of goes along with the murder a little bit cuz he's like oh I'm in love with her yeah. and the whole thing is premised cuz with him getting a knock on the head during a hockey game so that's why he's kind of dumb and like can't figure out, you know, leaves his girl on the abortion table and, like... Yeah. Doesn't go visit his dying mother in the hospitals because, like, he got a conk on the head. Uh, there's a scene of male nudity at the end when guy is poking the other guy in the butt in the shower and it has this, like, sort of operation, like, buzzer. <gasps> uh, and I thought, how handy would that be in real life? <laughs> <laughs> like as like a tool of consent <laughs> like that's even better than yes means yes it is if you're trying to enter something and if they don't want it there you get a loud like <laughs> buzz Maybe operation even a style. little shock <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i was like god that'd be so handy someone changes their mind like oh, i'm not feeling this <laughs> shocked out sorry 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 oh, sorry like, that that'd be a great consent tool. <laughs> There'd be no confusion there. Yeah, good point. And if you if you kept trying to make it happen when they didn't want it to happen, you'd get a little jolt in your junk. Yeah. <laughs> or your hand, I guess. Whatever is doing the, the, the prodding, but uh, maybe we can start this as a product and <laughs> market it as jolt in your junk. <laughs> That's already the uh, name of my uh, libido enhancer. Oh. <laughs> How's that selling, by the way? <laughs> Poorly. Oh. <laughs> Poorly. I'm sorry to hear that. About five for friends for Christmas. <laughs> thought that would... Oh, that was you. <laughs> well, you gave me that coupon for five free jolt in your junk. I want to go back to when you said that the title cards... Yeah. We're really great. Yeah. Um, there's a couple in here that I really like. One is silly. One is um, kind of serious. Um, the silly one is when uh, we're introduced to Meta, who's the oh hair, hair parlor abortion slash abortion clinics madame, uh, yeah. her daughter. Uh, when she, she's introduced, she says, Meta never eats her mother's pie. Which I feel was like, is this like a veiled sexual reference? I mean, Guy Madden, most of his movies have, you know, a fair amount of anatomy in them. Uh-huh. His view of, like, sort of sex and sexuality, it's not, it's not erotic, but it's also not clinical. Yeah. It's very sort of naturalistic. Yeah, and he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from things like incest and stuff, so that's why when I, when I see this, it's like... Yeah, it, it could be. Well, or, is it, or is he just being, like, tongue-in-cheek about how silly the way people used to talk a hundred years ago when Maybe. this style was going on? That, yeah, that definitely could be it. There was another time when he's, like, cutting off the... Or when he decides the 
physician decides to paint his hands instead of cut them off and put her dad's hands on, it says, a queer trick or something <laughs> like that. And it's like, definitely using a certain type of definition for that word. But I don't know. And then, and then it like, what goes later, when after the mom, oh, okay. whatever her name is, she finally gets strangled to death by Guy Madden, the character. Yeah. Um, and then it shows her slowly eating the piece of pie, and it says... Meta chews slowly the last piece of pie baked by her mother before she died. And it's sort of like... Full rhyme there. Yeah, it's and it's kind of sad because it's like, that's the last piece of pie she can ever have that her mother baked. <laughs> yeah. And and, and then she's filmed differently then too because like her makeup doesn't have those crazy um, eye things. She's like bathed in light for the first time. She's okay. not really all shadowy. So it's sort of like he's, she's suddenly humanized in this oh, weird way. Okay. I don't know. It, it was, I don't know. This time it struck me as really, really poignant. <laughs> huh. That must have been just one of the details that, like, I just took a face value <laughs> and moved forward. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's, like, what makes this such a good movie is that you can interpret it differently every time. Yeah, I mean, because there's a lot to interpret. Yeah. It's, a, things it's are, 60 minutes, but it's a dense 60 minutes. Yeah, things are flying at you rapid fire. He gives you no time to really sit and absorb the scene. Like, it's... You know, I know I criticize Baz Luhrmann when he does it, but for some <laughs> reason with Guy Madden, it, it feels like if it didn't have the frenzied pace, you'd it'd be missing something. Right. It needs to have that franticness to it. So. Right. It, it, you can't move a plot along that quickly without that pace, I guess. I don't know. I think it's also because he has so many different ideas mm -hmm. that he kind of needs to jam them all in there. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I mean, it, his ideas aren't just plot but also visual like i feel like he wants people to see a lot but he doesn't want them to hang around all day to see it i right. guess because this was supposed to be at like a gallery installation right where people <clears throat> watched each one of the chapters through peepholes right uh which made me wonder would the music be playing then too or are you just watching the film i don't know anyway huh. but you know so like each chapter is like what six minutes or something like yeah. that uh which I still think is a long time to watch something through a peephole. But... Agreed. <laughs> Especially if you're watching ten of them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so, you know, you got just a couple minutes before you lose people's attention. So, I, you know. Oh, maybe, yeah. Uh, he just had to. But even his normal, normal movies <laughs> are pretty rapid fire. Yeah. That's what, that's what makes it so shocking that he storyboards this. Like, I can't believe yeah. that. I mean, maybe he doesn't storyboard everything, but he did storyboard that short film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's like that short film was only six minutes long or something. Mm -hmm. And he shot this while in pre-production for the saddest music in the oh, world. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it's like he's thinking about one movie and making this one. You know, it's just like, jeez. <laughs> I'm not working on that level, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially because saddest music in the world, I still think is his most accessible movie i agree but it's not as it's not as good it's not as good i still like that movie a lot, i like it but... too don't get me wrong i love i like pretty much everything i've seen by him but would you say this is your favorite by him it's tough yeah. i like the 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 trilogy of his um what are they called like fake the... wherever there's like a guy madden character like there's this one brand upon the brain and my winnipeg yeah um, i like all three of those a lot and i really like the most recent one uh, Forbidden, Forbidden Room. Room. Yeah, that's that one's my favorite, I think. It's... I can't believe that more people haven't talked about it. It just seems like it's so remarkable in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and what I liked about Forbidden Room is that if... I don't know if you've seen any of his other color movies. I saw Careful. Yeah, and see, it's, you know, it's whatever. Yeah. And he's got another one called uh, Twilight of the Ice oh, yeah. Nymphs. With Shelley Duvall. yeah. And it's also just kind of like, eh. It yeah. seems like when he works with color, like, he kind of, like, loses his, not train of thought, but, like, he has to focus stuff elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know, he loses a little steam, a little momentum with his color films. Mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of Forbidden Room. Right. Like, that one seems to just plow full steam ahead. And color plays an important part in that movie, because yeah. then, like, it helps with setting as you're jumping through all these weird Yeah, I mean, I couldn't tell you what vignettes. Forbidden Room's about, but... Uh, yeah, that one. He, use, he uses color a little bit in this movie, and it's and it's kind of fun whenever yeah. it happens. Yeah, uh, it kind of goes between, like, blue and red. Yeah. You know? But it's still black and white. It just sort of has that mask of 
blue tinted or red right. tinted. From... Like he literally just put like a watercolor wash of blue yeah. over the film or something like that. Um, my favorite use of that was when um, Shaky, the teen captain, comes over and calls him a coward. And then there's just like his hands come up, or guy's hands come up, and then there's just a flash of blue real fast. And then it cuts back to black and white, and it's like, end of chapter eight or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, what does bending the knee refer to? Do you know? I'm assuming it has to do with the last quote. Um, that his that Madden Senior says about how the museum is a place for cowards who are uh, hiding from being fathers and husbands. Okay. Um, because in the end, the last scene, he becomes part of the wax. God, we haven't even talked about the wax museum. The wax museum, and he's like on a bended knee. Oh. So I assumed it had something to do with that. See, I because he's a coward. Basically, he's scared of being a father. Yeah, running away from mothers and. The first time I watched it, I thought it was a hockey reference. Like, when I walked away from the film, I thought it, it had to do with a, a technique of, of hockey. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I, what, like, eight years ago, I would have been like, oh, it's when you do this in hockey, but now I've forgotten. And watched it this time, I'm like, I, don't, I didn't, where to go? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I thought I had it figured out. That's, yeah. And that's a funny thing. I actually watched this twice. I watched it, oh, okay. I watched it last night, and I watched it again today. And, um... Because I was like, it's an hour, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I, I got totally different feels from it both times. Oh, yeah? And from when I first saw it. It's just like... Okay. The first time I saw it, I was viewing it as sort of like an electric complex where she wants to like murder her mother and fuck her father or something like that. Meta does. Okay. But like, I didn't... I wasn't getting that as much this time. I don't know. He based it off some like old plays. Medea. Yeah, because... Everyone was telling the Tyler me. Perry movies. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I I don't know much about the uh, Medea legend, but it's something like she lures her children, her own children, to death mm. uh, in order to like exact revenge upon the father. Huh. Okay. Uh, I don't remember. Lars von Trier did a, a television movie of it. And it was so boring. <laughs> it was like in the early '80s when he still hadn't, you know, found his voice yet. But, yeah, uh, that's the only thing that I really remember from it. No one got their their clip their cut off or anything. <laughs> no, there was no female circumcision in, in in his version. Oh, good. <laughs> Even though he's hanging this whole thing on these like myth uh, frameworks, okay, like. They come through, but it just feels like a wholly original piece. You know? Yo, like, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a rehash of any no, of it, the things he was talking about. It's definitely one of those instances where, unless someone had actively pointed it out to me, I wouldn't have been able to see it myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, the trope of, like, the, the body part, uh, you know, uh, transplants of, you know getting the hands of a killer or something like that. Like, right. that's been used for a long time. Like, there's black and white movies that have that trope in it. Uh, After Idle Hands. <laughs> <sighs> Doors over there, Ryan. <laughs> but, so, like, that's a trope, but that feels like it's sort of a classic Hollywood, you know, murder thriller trope. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, like, a specific type of trope necessarily right uh and i don't know it, it just it feels like he's gunman's he's kind of punk rock in that i feel like he would make the same type of movies no matter where he was in his life or sure. no matter what his situation is like there's no fear that guy madden's gonna like sell out and make an avengers movie no way <laughs> you know can you imagine <laughs> That, and which is sort of the fun part about liking Guy Madden is that, you know, the quality may vary on, like, his own spectrum. Like, yeah. You know, there are movies, you know, even more recent ones that I'm not totally for. But I know that, like, when I go to see a Guy Madden movie, it's going to be a Guy Madden movie. He's never yeah. going to sell out. He's never going to become commercialized. He's one of the most unique voices working in film. Yeah, and he just he doesn't give a fuck what other people are doing. No, yeah. <laughs> He's going to make the movie that he wants to make no matter what. Yeah. Uh, which is admirable, you know. Yeah. And again, thank God he's a Canadian where they'll throw money at him. <laughs> Be like, you're special. Because <laughs> I, I, I got to think, like, 
how did he how does he live <laughs> you know yeah. n- none of his movies are really commercial no uh so i'm always thinking to myself I'm like who how, where does he get rent money <laughs> i know he does there was a period um in the 90s before his like kind of renaissance um where uh oh and by the way after careful this was the next movie that he was planning on making uh, but never made was one that was supposed to take place in Holland about this woman who fell in love with a dike builder and with uh, something else. And they both end up dying and she takes their hearts and puts them into like a robotic uh, being so she can love them both at the same time. And she can switch between which heart she wants. She wants to be controlling the robot thing at, at, at any time. But the Canadian government decided not to fund it because they said it was a lateral move for him. <laughs> Can you believe that's a lateral move? Wow. <laughs> I like that, though. Yeah. But anyway, he, he tried being a director for high and it, didn't, it just didn't pan out. But it, I can't imagine that working out. Yeah. His sensibilities, like, I don't know if you could wrangle that in, you know, yeah. make something commercial out of it. It just doesn't seem like you could. Yeah. Guy Madden, never a sellout. No. That's, I saw, like, in these later years, he's sort of been, like, invited to be a guest teacher at a college for oh, yeah. a year or something like that. Yeah, I could and see that. So I think he's kind of doing some of that. But I mean, that's still like... <laughs> Guy's gotta eat. Yeah. Maybe I need to revisit my Winnipeg and see how he got it. Because I think, doesn't he talk about that a little bit? Doesn't it show him like in his place where he's living at that time? Is that really his place? Uh, we'll see. Yeah, uh, there you go. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, that was always one of those things it, with my Winnipeg was that you don't know where fact and fiction right starts and ends gets semi autobiographical right mm-hmm. he can't be tethered to such anchors as reality for a whole movie <laughs> yeah but yeah i guess like i guess what i like specifically about this one is the the economy of it like telling the story in 60 minutes mm-hmm. it feels complete in that time definitely um it's uh just Again, well shot. He, he he works best in eight millimeter, you know, like or grainy film, sixteen millimeter. Like, yeah, and that's what he normally does. And uh, I don't know, it's it's a good um, litmus test for other people. It's like if you know if you show them this is their first guy Madden, it's sort of like you're in or you're out. Yeah, I mean, it's throwing someone in the deep end because saddest music in the world. I would say if you wanted to tiptoe someone in, yeah, that'd be where to start. Or maybe just start with that short, the heart. Uh, the heart of the world. Yeah, if you're re- if you're really skeptical, <laughs> like if you if you hate this, you're gonna hate everything else. <laughs> yeah, ba- pretty much. Yeah, because yeah, I don't know for for whatever reason, I find his style enchanting. Mm-hmm. Like I I find it just rapturous. Yeah. Can we talk about the fisting scene? Oh, <laughs> the only thing that I really liked about that was that when. Like, it sort of implied the fisting. Yeah. It showed a hand going into, like, the cylinder a of French a tuba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a tuba. Because it was, like, the whole going up to that is they're, they're like, Grandma's music plays in the background. <laughs> and then so, like, ever so often you get cuts of, like, trombones or horns or something. Yeah. And, like, you're meant to believe that, oh, this is what Grandma's music is. Yeah. Um, but then he cuts it to a point where he's fisting the madam, uh... And then right as that happens, that's when, like, a fist goes into a French horn. Yeah. And it's, like, I, th- I just thought that was a really clever way of saying, like... Worthy of Hitchcock, at, in, you know, in North by train. Northwest, yeah. the train goes in, and I was like, that is lovely visual. Indeed, you know? yeah. It, wor- it really worked it, for me. It really pushes the implication <laughs> home, you know? I really like, also, um, his music choices. Each one gets, like, a classical music... Yeah. Um, specifically the last one, which is the Earl King by Schubert. Okay. Which is a story. It's like a song poem by Goethe, um, where it's like a child and a father are riding through the woods, and um, the child's like, "I see something that's coming to take me," and the father's like, "Oh, it's just the wind. Oh, it's just the leaves." And then finally, like, the child shrieks, and it's like, "Goethe." Um, <laughs> Goethe. But it's like. It's just interesting that he would use that in the end when, you know, he's, like, it's a father thing and the father's taking away his 
deceased girlfriend goes. <laughs> when you talk about this movie, it sounds like such a downer. But it's it sounds really like I'm not. losing my mind. <laughs> but this is what happens. <laughs> And it just it just works really well as an end song because it's kind of scary sounding and it sure. feels climactic and it has like a frenetic energy to it that worked really well. One thing that I like about Guy Madden is that he he really seems to, even though his mind seems very cinematic, he really seems to draw inspiration from a lot of different places. Yeah, like judging from like how he writes, it seems like he, you know, has read some books or some poetry or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely listens to a lot of music because, like, there's classical music all over right. everything that he does, really. Uh, and, yeah, it just seems that... And he even has, like, a, a sense of, like, you know, theatricality to him. Yeah. Or, you know, that it almost seems like he's directed plays and things like that in his day. Sure. You know, uh, so even though he, he's primarily known for making movies, it seems like he really has... Like a, a wide breadth of inspiration. Yeah, it said like he's written some books. And, yeah, um, he's done like art installations as well that involve film. Yeah, but, um, yeah, he's a he's a man of many trades. Yeah, in the creative sphere. Yeah, he said something once. I saw Keyhole at SIF years and years ago, and it mm-hmm. had a Skype Q and A with him afterwards. Oh, okay. And it, it was okay. It was like from his home, <laughs> uh, and he was like unshaven and uncombed and. You know, looked like he was still in his bathrobe. and But he, he said something that I really liked. Uh, someone asked him about, you know, why does he choose, you know, primarily black and white? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you know, I like the aesthetic. And he goes, honestly, I feel that all films should be in black and white unless they can prove themselves otherwise. Oh, wow. And I've always liked that phrase. A, I also, I also like black and white. Orson Welles said black and white is everybody's friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do kind of feel that People, modern filmmakers, don't really use color as a device or a tool. And so if, if, yeah. if movies kind of look better or if people look better in black and white, then, you know, maybe they should be in black and white and, unless really they, they can prove themselves otherwise. Yeah. I don't know how to explain this. This is kind of a half thought, but it really helps to kind of beam his ideas directly into your brain okay. in a way that... Uh, wouldn't work if he wasn't using this like pastiche of uh talkies and uh, or pre-talkie film uh because like it sets a context and you know what you're getting in that like parentheses of here's where we're starting okay already and then kind of working i don't know just it just his films always feel like a direct beaming to my brain of what he was trying to do okay i feel like i'm in his head when i see his movies a lot of times um and so like I don't know, maybe color would distract from that, or... I mean, he talks about how he gets sort of distracted by color, like, if he's going to use, like, red in a finale of his movie, then he has to, like, make sure that, like, nothing else is red in the entire movie, and then it's like, he has to approve wardrobe and sets and props, and he's like, I just, if I shoot in black and white, it doesn't matter what color the couch is. Yeah, it just adds a variable that he, uh... Yeah, he doesn't like to have to think He's about. probably already juggling many, 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 yeah. many variables, so, like, you don't need to throw another one in there. I want to throw a question to you. Okay. Who do you think would, would uh, be really great in, in a role in his next feature? Because I feel like there's some that work really well, or who have worked really well, and some that have worked are less successful. In a Guy Mad movie, I don't. It's it's hard because it's you know. I think Udo Kier works really well. Oh my god, <laughs> I loved that Sparks song sequence in uh, the Forbidden Room. Yeah, Good. listeners, if you're interested at all, look up the Sparks song from the Forbidden Room. It's called like "Butts on the Brain" yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Oh my god. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think what makes Udo Kier and Isabel Rosalini is that their their sense of humor is very dry. You, like, they, the jokes that they say, they're not, you know, they're delivering them earnestly, very sincerely. Yeah. But they kind of have a cadence, sort of like Christopher Walken, like, you, you know, when he's doing something funny, it's not necessarily played for laughs. Right. It's just he's there's a certain phrasing, a certain way that he his cadence. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with Isabella Rosalini, you know, 
you can give her something innocuous to say, but her accent kind of makes it funny the way that it rolls sure. out. Sure. And same with Udo Kier. And they both kind of have a way of holding themselves that's, you know, that can be comical when yeah. done the right way. So, someone who would be good in a guy in Madden movies, I, I feel like it would have to be, or what's, I don't know the name of the actor, but he's in a bunch of guy Madden films. He played, like, the abortion doctor and... One moment, please. He played, like, the, <laughs> the intro guy in Forbidden Room who's like, don't just fart in the bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't just go away. Apparently he's done lots of junk. I only know him from Guy Madden movies because he's been in a lot of them. His yeah. name's Louis Nagin. Okay. And uh, he's great. Yeah. He's, he has such a the perfect face for a silent film. Mm-hmm. There, there was one specifically in this movie where just before he uh, puts chloroform on Guy Madden to knock him out the first time, okay. he has this like... Looks like he smells something kind of face, <laughs> but it's supposed to be like menacing. I don't know. It's so it's just perfect. I don't Willem Dafoe look... might make a good yeah, guy or like a Susan Sarandon. Maybe I think she's a little too subtle. I don't th- I don't mm. I don't see her playing playing big. I'm picturing like a yeah. I'm picturing her in like a Ms. Havisham situation. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just a fun little thing I was trying to think of on the way over here. Gina Gershon. She came <laughs> up. She came up in my brain. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Is there a question uh, that starts out, what actress that would not end with Gina Gershon? <laughs> wow. Wow. What would that be like? Acting opposite uh, Willem Dafoe in um, Guy Madden's Killer Joe. Who took too. the cookie? <laughs> I don't know. Guy, Guy Madden, I'm just, always, every time I see one of his movies, I'm just so happy that he's alive and making and making movies in the same time that I'm alive. Yeah. Because they just always bring me a lot of a lot of joy. They always make me think. Um, and uh, they always give me, like, a creative burst. They make me feel like I can make something interesting. Because yeah, they're, they're sort of scrappy, and he does not work with a big budget. Yeah. You know, I don't think he's uh, ever had anything more than like two million dollars to make a movie. I think Coward's been the knee cost thirty thousand dollars to yeah. make, and it only grossed twenty two. <laughs> but I mean, you got to remember, you know, it showed at galleries and sure. you know places where you pay what you can if it's yeah. you know, on a Thursday. <laughs> he's definitely not going for that for that buck. No, so that's what I mean. I'm like, how is he? How is he turning a profit? Like. If this movie only cost $30,000 to make, what's his cut? What's his director's fee? And then how is he making a living off of that? I think the best way to go about this is to contact the man himself. I bet he is the type of celebrity that responds to his own email. Like, not his own emails, but like he doesn't have like, you know, a secretary or an assistant doing it. Something yeah. tells me like he's personally answering all emails sent to him. I say we try guymadden at gmail.com, guy.madden at gmail.com. gmadden <laughs> at aol.com. <laughs> Guy M. 1956. Whatever it was. <laughs> at hotmail.com. Let's just try them all. See what, see what kind of responses we get. <laughs> The talking portion. Of, wait, as we enter the singing portion of our show, <laughs> the next the next portion of the show will be done in Guy Madden style. Just uh, frenetic cuts and we're classical gonna, music. We're gonna dance the rest of this podcast. <laughs> I like that we're trying new things. Yeah, Guy this would a, be proud. This is a golden age of podcasting. <laughs> let's just let's see where we can go. Uh, I'm just going to cut what I said before and say, what are we watching next week? Oh, (laughs) uh, I'm thinking 
We're going to go earthbound after this flight into fancy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do match points. Oh, okay. Because uh, you mentioned that you hadn't seen it, which was a shocker to me. Because uh, it was sort of a, a big deal back, I think in 2003, same year as Coward's Been the Knee. All right. So I know that you were cogent and seeing movies at the time, <laughs> and you somehow missed this. I wasn't in a coma or anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, great. I'm yeah. excited to see some Jonathan Reese Myers yeah. swinging a tennis racket. <laughs> I assume he's a tennis player in that movie, right? It's called Match Point. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. Uh, yeah. Ooh, that means we're going to get into some Woody Allen talk. We're going to get provocative. Right. Controversial. Get ready, everyone. We're going to have the most bland, milk toast podcast. Just wait. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do the Meisner technique over and over and over again. I see. The idea is that you're supposed to communicate the dialogue, like the full scene, mm -hmm. using only one one phrase. Oh man! That way, you learn to inflect, and you learn to use your body language, and you learn to connect to the other actors outside of the dialogue. So we're going to try and do that with our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Buckle up, kids. <laughs> That's the phrase we're using. <laughs> Buckle up, kids. <laughs> Buckle up, kids! We're going to review the whole Match Point movie using just the phrase, buckle up, kids. I'm excited. <laughs> you know, if you try, you win. <laughs> uh, let's plug our junk and uh, get the hell out of here. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at X-Rated Movies. As it was and forever shall be. Mm -hmm. uh, like us on our Facebook page. Uh, and leave a comment. I don't think we have any comments on our Yeah, page. if you're if you're listening in and uh, and you like what you hear or you hate what you hear or if you're meh, meh. about it, just let us know. Yeah, just say hi. Yeah. Uh, the Facebook page is at Rated X Movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can also shoot us a little email uh, at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And is that all our junk? I think that's all our junk. Even, oh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Oh yeah, and then let us know. Uh, let us know what you think on there. Rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, get us uh, get us some word of mouth out there. And if you have some friends that you think might like this, yeah, then uh, let them know too. Yeah, because that's how we spread, like wildfire or gonorrhea. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know what's wrong <laughs> with me today. <laughs> Play us out, Matt. I can't think of a way to end this. Join us next week, episode nineteen. Match points. Bye. Bye.